This is the Honest CEO Show, hosted by the Honest CEO, Caroline Kennedy. Get ready to be informed, inspired, and motivated by the honest stories from passionate, extraordinary business people who share their ups and downs and their learnings on the journey to building success in business. Welcome, and today my guest is Bruce Nixon, who is the CEO and Director of Holocentric. Holocentric is an Australian technology company, and Bruce is fiercely passionate in his belief that companies can achieve greater performance by better understanding how people, processes, and technology come together to meet strategic objectives as well as regulatory obligations. Holocentric has assisted some of Australia's largest organisations to implement its innovative BMS platform, which provides clarity and accountability over all facets of operations. Some of those clients have included the Australian Tax Office, Westpac, Qantas, Western Power, UGL Services, Icelandair and IP Australia, to name a few. Good morning, Bruce, and welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, Caroline. Thank you very much. That's okay. Now, tell us about Holocentric. Sure. Uh, we, we, Holocentric is a software company, and uh, we've been around for about uh, 13 years. We have about 40 employees. Um, we, we provide some capability to large organisations that enables them to understand how their business works in more detail. Typically, we find that there is a whole range of knowledge spread across the organisation, but no one place that people can go to to reference how things really work. So we call that a business management system, and that's the software that we provide typically to very large, complex organisations that need to deal with uh, change on a continual basis. So my understanding of that is like a centralised system and knowledge base where people can go and reference. That is correct, Caroline, yes. So uh, it might be referenced for the purposes of just making sure that people are doing things in the correct way or it could be referenced from the perspective of considering how they may change how they work to be better, to bring about new ideas, to innovate the, uh, the way they operate as a business. Sure. Tell us about your BMS platform. I understand it is quite innovative. Uh, yes, the BMS um, platform um, we've built uh, over the last few years and our background goes back to helping people to understand the complexity involved with uh, projects. So as organisations implement new IT systems or implement some change in their processes, they need to better understand what they do and how they need to change. In applying that technology, people typically took a project view, whereas, okay, once the change is implemented, the need for the software that we provided uh, wasn't considered as uh, as strong as what it was at the beginning of the project, i.e. they'd done some work, they gathered some information, they used that to implement some change, but then they neglected that information. All that knowledge they gathered went to waste. We were quite frustrated by this and, and decided that We've got to take a different approach whereby that knowledge that people gather, the investment they make in getting a better understanding of how they work needs to be retained and needs to help them to run the business and make further change and to continually improve the business rather than just being used for that one-off change. So that's, what we, that's the journey we started about um, five years ago to convert what was a modelling tool, a capability to 
understand complexity, but then to bring that into into an operational sense for organisations where it helps them to be more effective in what they do, to be meet their compliance obligations, but very importantly, to implement further change and continually improve the business. Okay. And in terms of the system, uh, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that it collects data as well so you can gain insights from historical aspects of the business too. Is that correct? Well, what what we do is we combine the data. Typically, organisations already gather a lot of data. In fact, they have so much data they don't know how to deal with it effectively. (laughs) What they typically lack is the contextual um, information about that. So rather than gathering the data, we will reference the data that's already in existence. So they have business intelligence tools, they have big data um, applications, and you know retailers are very strong on this about um, gathering further information about the frequent buyers and customers and their buying habits. But how do they deal with that and how do they use that more effectively to actually improve and run the business? That's where we uh, specialise and say, okay, that data that you capture provides certain information about how you do things, but you need to combine that with, okay, what are we going to do about that? How are we going to change our business? What could we, how could we be more effective in our operations? How can we provide better customer service as a result of that data that we've captured? So that's really the specialisation that we have is, you know, providing that contextual view as to how that data can help them to make better decisions. Yeah, and I would completely agree with you in regards to businesses that collect uh, quite a substantial amount of data, yet don't know how to necessarily use the data. And data can, as you say, when you contextualise it, it can really tell a story and you can see patterns and you can see areas perhaps where you need to delve into a little bit deeper because um, perhaps there's an, an anomaly and you need to look at that to see why did that change and what do we need to do about that? Yeah, I think that's one of the great opportunities is to look at that data and see how, how as you say, as, how those patterns um, may, be, um, may be observed from the data that's been captured. Yeah. Uh, today, you know, the, the cost of data storage is so cheap. Yes. We, we gather so many, so many more terabytes and of, of data that um, it's become very cost-effective to enable organisations to do that. Yeah. But the investment now has to go into, okay, how do we analyse that more effectively so that we can make better decisions? And I think the analysis part is the opportunity as well because there is a lot of opportunity when you analyse the data correctly. And, and and I think this is a skill too from what I've seen over the course of my career. There are certain individuals who can really look at data and analyse it and then see a pattern as we talked about before. Yes, yes. Yeah. And also um, and what, what we look at is uh, looking at those um, the analysis of the data, but then relate that back to well, what were the intents, intentions of the business? What were your strategies? What were you trying? What were you trying to achieve? What's your design of your business? And how do you relate the data that you've captured back to what the expectations were? Are we in alignment? Are we achieving what we what we set out to achieve? And that's uh, that's really uh, a, a, a big gap, I think, at the moment is is relating that back to what the intentions were. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, you've mentioned before that BMS can help smaller companies compete against multinationals. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So um, I think uh, the multinational companies, what we typically find is that they they achieve uh, efficiencies through scale. 
you know, if you can do things on a lower cost basis as an organisation, if you have more transactions going through an organisation, and hence uh, you can do things more cost effectively, then you get to a point where you start to add in overhead through layers of management. So as an organisation gets larger, you typically have a, a, a manager who might have seven people reporting to her, and then that those people have another seven people reporting to them and so on and so forth. So as the organisation gets larger, you need to put in more layers of management, which then create discrepancies in the way people do things. And for those organisations, we typically find that there's a lot of inconsistencies in the way they approach things. So if you go to one person and apply for a mortgage within a bank, you might get a different result from if it's, apply, if it's processed by a different person in a different location within the same bank. And we find those discrepancies across an organisation, which then results in greater risk they undertake. They, they uh, involve rework for those organisations. I think for smaller, more medium-sized organisations, I'm not talking about maybe you know, the very small ones, but medium-sized organisations can more easily capture the way they do things because before they get out of hand and become less efficient. So that enables them to scale more efficiently and better than what the larger organisations have. So when they already have that inefficiency built into the system or that complexity built into the system, I should say, the, the, it's, it's more difficult for them to capture that knowledge and for them to change. Yeah. Before you get to that point as an organisation, if you capture what you do more effectively so that you have greater consistency built into your business early on, then you are more able to compete. So you can start to get those efficiencies into your business and you naturally get a, an approach of always looking for improvements in your business if you actually understand how things are working in far more detail. Yeah, that's a very valid point. And I think that it, that also comes back to, um, you know, I suppose the, the leadership as well around the business and the priorities for the, the leadership. And if, if you prioritise early and actually get those efficiencies and systems and processes in place, then it, it makes life as you grow and as you scale much easier. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, once, once you've got to a very large uh, scale, the natural tendency is to protect. You have a market share, you have certain product lines, um, you have processes. So you're all about protecting your business and, and defending what you have rather than looking to be more innovative and coming up with new ideas and challenging the status quo. But when you're still growing, when you're a smaller organisation and you really want to challenge those organisations, you want to take them on and you want to do things better. You want to do things differently. You want to bring, bring about new new ideas, new products you can bring to the, to the consumer. And that's a much bigger opportunity then compared to just trying to protect what you have. Yeah. And there's been many examples, of course, of organisations overprotecting what they have to their own detriment, yes. whereby a new business model challenged what they did and they lost the whole business. Yeah, yeah, and I've witnessed that somewhat, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. And I think going back to that point is there is huge opportunity for those larger businesses to perhaps look at innovation as opposed as a component, as opposed to just trying to maintain what already exists. Yeah, I think there's a great opportunity there, yeah. but it's, it's not a natural tendency, I think, for for them to put innovation on the front line. If you look at um, organisation structures for large organisations, you compare the number of people working in innovation to the number of people in risk management. And, well, it's just a, it's a, it's a pittance they put into innovation compared to the risk. 
management yeah. of the business. So yeah. the risk management is largely about protecting what they have rather than really defending themselves or looking at the risks that may come about through innovation from other organisations. Mm. And uh, when they when they react, they react. They often react too late. Yes, because yeah. they find they're very cumbersome. They find it very difficult to to implement that change because the vast majority of the people are concerned with the uh, current operations of the business and trying to make that effective, rather than looking at um, looking outside the square as to what they might be better. Mm, mm. I certainly don't agree with that process, but that's just my um, humble opinion. Um, now, you stated that 70% of organisations, their change initiatives fail. Now, this is a high failure rate. So can you tell us a little bit about that? I think there's, uh, there's a lot of statistics around about um, change in organisations. So whether you're whether it's a large organisation acquiring a new business, we've seen many of those um, fail to achieve what, um, what they intended to to um, to deliver. Uh, if we look at banks, for example, they they all went through a phase of develop of acquiring wealth management organisations, and now they're going through a phase of divesting wealth management organisations. <laughs> so they never quite achieved the um, the efficiencies and the cross selling that they're intending to by bringing those businesses into the uh, into the traditional banking space. If we look at um, the implementation of IT systems, there's many failures from you know, government organisations in particular have uh, have many, had many failures as far as implementation of um, big IT systems in organisations. Private organisations have had many similar failures but perhaps aren't on the public record uh, and it's subject to the same scrutiny. So there's lots of those changes that are difficult and I think... Um, the cause of the failure rate is often the lack of understanding of the detail of understanding of what they're actually doing. Without understanding what you're starting from, it's very difficult to determine how you're going to make that transition to a future state of operations uh, very effectively. And that's what we often find is that they really don't have a handle on what they're doing with all the detail about things before they implement that change. Um, and hence, they discover those things along the way and often too late after they've made the change or partially made the change. Yeah. So how do they prevent that failure? How do we improve those rates? I think uh, you need to really to be able to visualise the future much better. So to create a picture and simulate that, and what we do is we help organisations to build a model as to how they may look in the future. If you look at... Um, uh, infrastructure building, you know, if you look at um, large, large towers, um, they, they typically build a model, a scale model of how it's going to look so people can actually see what it looks like. Now, that's something that's quite physical. So you can actually quite clearly identify, you know, how this is going to work, what the architecture is going to be, what the landscape might be around that. So as that, that picture helps people to understand, okay, this is what it's going to look like in the future. This is how this city is going to be. This is how this this uh, this uh, road infrastructure is going to work or whatever it might be. If we look at other changes in an organisational sense, they typically don't do that. Now, whilst you can't create a model in the same sense as a physical thing, you can actually create a model to show how the organisation will be structured, how they deal with their customers, what their processes are, what their performance should be in the future. So building that picture as to how they might look in the future should create greater confidence for them as to how to get there. But you need to understand where you're starting from. So if you miss a lot of the details about where you are today, then a lot of the things will get lost. So that's just a lot of the change that we see has failed is because 
that picture for the future wasn't inclusive of enough of the detail of how they work or what they need to support from a customer perspective, from their internal systems perspective, for compliance obligations, for regulatory, um, for regulatory needs and so on. So that, uh, that picture as to how they might work in the future, which in their case is a model that the um, executives and management of organisations can better understand, uh, will enable them to make that change more successfully. Yeah, that really helps with clarity and direction as well and decision-making within a business, especially if you have built that model or roadmap um, and analysed the gaps and, and where you need to complete those gaps. Then, uh, And especially if that's communicated to the wider team and, and they buy into that and, and it's about, as you say, the visualisation, then at every point when people are making decisions within the organisation, they're doing it based on the roadmap or, or the structure that's been visualised for the future. Yeah, look, I think that's a really good point about the uh, communication to the broader team. And that's what, quite often what organisations do not do very well, is to make sure that you bring people along the journey. So if you can help people to understand what the journey is and where they're going to, then it's going to be much easier for them to understand what the implications might be for themselves. And whilst, um, whilst that's not always positive for everybody, I think there's a, normally a greater fear when people don't know. So people typically assume that change is going to be negative for them if they are kept in the dark. Yes. So the greater transparency enables people to buy into that change process and actually understand that and embrace that change and be more positive about the change uh, rather than being kept in the dark and not being um, and, and being overly concerned about uh, negative uh, implications of the change. Yeah, very much so. And I think that's a very valid point. And also when they're in that state of mind, they're also very distracted as opposed to focused on what needs to be done. Yeah, look, I think, uh, yeah, yes, um, uh, there's, been, there's many examples of that when organisations go through some sort of downsizing and people typically are uh, overly concerned and just um, the productivity drops off, the organisation performs uh, worse than what they did before. Um, the the results are poorer. Then they have to put off more people because it's just a, it's a downward spiral with that, that sort of negative attitude in organisations. Yeah. So um, I read an article where you said nine out of ten Australian CEOs believe that technology presented the biggest transformation trend for their business. Yet this belief is not translating into a country of innovation. Yeah, I think uh, I think um, there's many successes uh, in Australia of innovation. Um, I typically think what we typically do pretty poorly, though, is the commercialisation aspect. Um, there's a lot of ideas that have come out and have been taken overseas and have been commercialised. And somewhere like the United States, for example, is very good at commercialising on um, innovation. I think in Australia we do have uh, innovation. There's a lot of um, the government does a pretty good job, I think, of supporting research and development in the country, but does a pretty poor job of supporting the commercialisation of that research and development. And hence, we tend as a country, I think, to miss out on a lot of that opportunity uh, from the early stage uh, research and development. Now, an exception is someone like Atlassian, who's done phenomenally yeah. well and uh, kept kept a lot of the um, they, they had the confidence themselves to back their own commercialisation of their own ideas and their own product and took that out to the world and eventually then has listed the company in, in the US, but they have um, you know, built a very strong capability in Australia 
as a result of their confidence and their continued investment in, into, um, into the commercialization of their products. I think um, with larger organizations, it's naturally a lot more conservative than um, innovation as a, as a rule because they're uh, defending what they currently have. Yeah. Now, I once witnessed, and we talked about, I briefly mentioned this before, I once witnessed a business decline because of lack of relevance as the market changed with technology distribution. Now, luckily, we were able to be agile, conducted research, we formulated a strategy and executed it to turn the business around. Now, technology was a key component of that strategy. And I think this experience taught me a few things. However, the relevant one here is that IT and technology are enablers for businesses. And I think we touched on that before. And as such as a key component to any strategy, but most importantly, not managed by third party individuals who are not key stakeholders. And I see that in a lot of businesses, particularly from SME up to larger organisations where they outsource that key component and don't necessarily value the opportunity with it. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think um, outsourcing has been one of the greatest disservices to uh, many large organisations or large and small organisations. I think um, you don't want to outsource your core business, and I think that's been a tendency for for many organisations. I think in the um, in the Howard era in federal government, they went through a big outsourcing trend to say let's outsource all the IT as a, as, as a policy, which I think uh, was a, was a big mistake. And what you do when you outsource that uh, Commonwealth Bank went through that. Um, uh, it's one of the earlier outsources of their IT systems, and um, David Murray was on record as saying that um, what they did was they lost a lot of the knowledge of the organisation with that. So I think it's I think it's a big mistake to outsource everything. Not that outsourcing in itself is a bad idea. No. Uh, but I think a whole of IT outsourcing or a whole of business process outsourcing, where it really cuts to, cuts into the muscle of the organisation, takes a lot of that knowledge out of the organisation, and gives that to a third party. I think that's a big mistake. I think you have to be very uh, careful about what is outsourced and make sure that it's more just supporting activities that really are not core to business. And, um, uh, for example, in a small business, you might outsource bookkeeping because that's something that's really just um, crunching the numbers. And as long as you're presenting those, it's not actually running the business, it's supporting the business. But if you wanted to outsource your sales of an organisation where it's more about the culture of the business and understanding of what you do and you want to outsource that, yeah, I think that's a big mistake. I think if you're outsourcing a lot of software development, uh, we don't do that. Uh, we do all our software development in-house and we don't outsource any of that. And we, uh, we, we probably will not outsource any of that. There might come a time where there might be certain components where it's appropriate to do that, but I think you have to be very careful about what you outsource and make sure that you're retaining all your intellectual property and the knowledge about um, how your business is, because that really is the, the culture of your business. Yeah, I agree with that uh, completely. And and as I said, I have witnessed businesses who have outsourced and um, had no knowledge on what was necessarily going on from a technology point of view within their business and decisions being made by third party who weren't necessarily aligned with the company's vision or goals. And yeah, it, it, there's yeah. just, there is no alignment there. And, and it is a key component to any strategy. It has to be, especially nowadays. Yeah. 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 Now, I also believe that innovative leadership is the future, and I talk about that a lot because 
as we see the market evolve and we see technology evolve, to remain relevant, innovation is key. Now, it doesn't mean that you need to be a leader in innovation. It just means that you need to understand your relevance and continue to be relevant and use the resources available from a technology point of view to do that. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, like I think with any business, you really need to be alert. And particularly now, things are changing much more quickly than, than they ever have in the past. You know, technology enables new approaches. And if you're not innovative and if you're not continually looking for better ways to do things, you won't survive. You know, there's examples of that. Uh, Nokia is a, is a great example of an organisation that's going through yet another change. Um, they're not they're not dead in spite of what may, people may think. Mm-hmm. Maybe Nokia phones are a thing of the past, or almost a thing of the past. But um, you know, the, the company itself has been around for you know 150 years, and they weren't a phone company, so they've uh, in, reinvented themselves. So that innovative approach to their business and saying, what whilst they have had a massive write down in their business, and obviously they lost a lot of money. They're now reinventing themselves yet again to be a tele- telecom network service provider. And I think the type of approach enables organisations to continue to exist. And others like a BlackBerry who are in a similar position, not with quite the market dominance, but certainly a very strong brand and a strong capability, didn't innovate and didn't um, didn't move on and um, have paid the price. So. I think you need to be alert to that. If you look at uh, banking, fintechs are coming along and there's new ways of doing doing uh, payments. So payment-to-payment systems or peer-to-peer payment systems are a threatening part of the bank's um, uh, revenue line. So they need to be embracing that change and being innovative and looking outside of their organisation to see what, what is possible, what, is, um, what the capabilities might bring. And that goes beyond just asking your customers about what they want. I think you need to look at uh, invest in research and true research yeah. where you're looking at some of the trends that are happening in the world and even in um, in third world countries and organisations, well, sorry, countries that don't have the infrastructure that we have here and the way they approach things where, well, they're doing peer-to-peer payments on mobile phones. Well, we don't do that here because we don't need to. But some of that innovation may be applied very effectively in um, in first world countries as well. Yeah. And I think um, a strategy I've used before in business is um, cross-industry innovation as well, looking at other industries and, and technology that's being used in other industries and how that could be integrated into the you know, the current business model or, or a different industry and capitalising on that as well. Yeah, look, I think there's, yeah, there's lots of opportunities um, and that's where someone like, um, you know, Airbnb and Uber are, are great examples of innovation, which is very, very much software companies being applied to traditional businesses and um, and also utilising greater capacity that exists in the, in, in the world. So in the case of um, you know, Airbnb, you're making rooms that were otherwise um, vacant, available to, to people to um, to accommodate uh, people. And uh, with Uber, making use of cars that were sitting idle and um, using them to afford transfer, transporting other others. So, um, yeah, I think um, applying the looking looking outside your own industry is is cool. Yeah, my example of this is when I was leading a wholesale travel business, and we used to distribute our brochures to travel agents. Yet there were many other operators who did the same thing, and there was no real point of difference. So it was a question about how do we get a point of difference? How do we get the um, travel agent handing out those brochures to a consumer? 
and we utilise uh, virtual reality in its very early stages and we're the first to do that within the industry to actually allow you to use your mobile device or your iPad to actually scan the cover of the brochures and up popped an experience that that you got to you got to experience the destination um, based on it, it was video based, but you you got to experience what you would experience if you went to Egypt, for instance, and you got a taste of it. And so for us, that was um, that was innovative because then the travel agents wanted to hand out our brochures because they wanted to talk to the customer about look at this like look at this technology and the experience that you can have and. And it really was quite effective. Um, so, I mean, there, that's just one example of, of how you can utilise it. And, you know, as you said before, there are quite a few other examples of that. What are your top three tips for leaders in terms of innovation? I think um, top three tips, yeah. The uh, innovation within your own organisation, I think, you need to look at, um, number one, it, you, you have to remain uh, connected with your customer. So, what is the customer needs? What what's your what's your core offering to your customers, and what could you do better for those customers? And and listening to those customers is is is, is still number one. But I don't think you can just do that. You know, if, as Henry Ford said, if he asked his what his customers wanted, he could, they would have asked for a faster horse. <laughs> and mm. so that's one aspect. But you still have to be very much um, involved with those customers to get that feedback from customers. They are they do have some great ideas about things that could be offered that are better than what we currently do. I think you need to look outside, though. I think it's investing in true research. So looking at, um, you know, reading out upon what's going on in different industries. So for something like the Internet of Things, for example, whilst it's been talked about for a long time, it's coming, it's making a big difference, it's going to make a huge difference, it enables information to or data to be gathered real time when things are happening, and that's going to affect the whole supply chain, manufacturing operations, and all sorts of things. But then it being able to apply that in other ways to to uh, experiences that people have is going to ha make a big big difference as well. So doing that research, I think, is is still critical um, to be able to apply to your organisation. And I think thirdly, to really understand how your business operates in detail so that you have that capability to introduce change so that people are not fearful of that change. Yeah, uh, they're very good tips. What has been the catalyst for success in your business? I think um, not accepting the status quo, I think, is, is, is most important. So we had some capability in our products, as I mentioned earlier, that we could have capitalised on a continued online journey, but we decided that, no, we wanted to take a different approach. There is a, a latent need in the market for um, helping organisations to better manage their knowledge, better understand how they work as an organisation. So we decided to go down that path and set ourselves, uh, as Jim Collins would say, a big, hairy, audacious goal, which was to create and earn the business management system category. And that's sort of our long-term drive for us. And so that, that then... Um, empowers us to build this capability for organisations whereby we can drive towards that business management system category that is well known um, throughout the world. We operate very much in Australia at the moment, but we see the applications of this across all types of organisations, across all types of industries, whether they be private organisations or whether they be government organisations. So for us, that, that driving, that, that goal that we have, uh, the big hairy audacious goal that we have is really the, the key driver. And then we might modify what, how we go about things and what we might do. And I certainly encourage 
my people to think of better ways to do things, but driving still towards that same, you know, big goal. Yeah, yeah, and that's a very good strategy. Finally, what are the three main tips you have for other businesses in terms of how they can punch above their weight? Yeah, I think um, uh, as a small organisation, we, we do have many benefits over a large one. And we most of our customers are those larger organisations. And I just see the decision-making processes they have to go through. They have so many compliance um, uh, obligations. They have so much uh, risk aversion they spend a lot of time, a lot of money making what perhaps should be relatively simple decisions. So it's much harder for them to embrace change and to move forward. For smaller organisations, take advantage of what you have as a smaller, nimble, agile organisation and don't lose that. I think you have to back yourself. If you've got some, some great ideas, back them and work work with those. If you see that um, what you offer is a better approach, if it's a better product, it's a better service, don't give don't don't lose faith in that. You're going to go through some ups and downs in your business, but you've got to go work through those and continue the journey. And back your people. I think uh, with with any organisations, the people that make make a big difference. But I think within within small organisations, they're allowed to make a greater contribution. And I think um, backing them and working with them and enabling them to be more effective in the organisation is a great attribute and a great benefit that we have in a small organisation over a large one. Yeah, very much so. And it's about leveraging the resources and the people that you have within the business. And and I think when you empower them, that's where the ideas happen and that's where you start to challenge that status quo, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of people's the 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 good idea is not limited to the uh, the executives in an organisation. No, every, every, everybody has, can have great ideas in an organisation. It's an encouraging them and giving them the confidence to express their ideas and to bring them forth that um, I think can help a particularly a small business. Yes, very much so. And I don't think any idea is a bad idea either. I always take that approach. It's just more about okay, let's investigate the viability of this idea and test it a little bit. Exactly, yeah. yeah, or whether it's in fact a timely thing yes. for us. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Bruce. I really appreciate it. Some great insights for our listeners and I appreciate your time. And thank you, Caroline. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Honest CEO Show with Caroline Kennedy. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe on iTunes for your weekly dose on all things business. We've also made it easy for you by linking the subscribe to button on the virtual executive website. Caroline shares free business tools and resources there too. And if you're stuck and need some advice, book a free 30-minute session with Caroline or one of her team. Go to www.virtualexecutive.com.au and check it out.